Well, good morning. Y'all did pretty good this morning. Thank you. So, for those of you that are new here, I'm not the pastor. Our pastor, John, and his wife, Laura, are on a sabbatical this month. They'll be gone for the next five months, five weeks. <laughs> five months. John may take me up on that, the next five weeks. So, for the next five weeks, you will have different people coming up here and leading you. So my name is Rick Reams. My wife Stephanie and I joined this church back in December of 2021, and I'm excited to be here to share a message with you. But before I get into my message, I want to do a couple things real quickly. And first of all, I want to thank all of you. Some of you may know, some of you may not know that my mother-in-law passed away on Tuesday. She had a long, hard battle uh, with dementia and she had kidney disease, uh, hospice was called in, and you all prayed for her and you prayed for us, and I thank you for that. The one prayer I ask is that she would go quickly and easily, and she was able to go easily and peacefully. Uh, the quick part was a little bit slower than I think we would have liked, but uh, she was able to join her Savior and her husband and her family, and we are grateful for you all for that. I would ask you to continue to pray for especially Stephanie, my wife, and my sister-in-law, Tanya, as they continue to go through the process of grief, of realization, of reflection, and then of thanksgiving, of a life well-lived. So I thank you all for that. Secondly, I always love when pastors say this, but I'm going to be honest with you. I think I'm normally honest with you, but I want to kind of start that off as a caveat with that, saying that up till a couple years ago, I would have never preached the message that I'm going to preach this morning. And I will tell you why that is, and that's because up until then, my message is I didn't want to offend anyone. I wanted to be everyone to be happy and to be able to walk out and have picked up something. And I thought to myself, you know, the one way I describe it is if I was going to step on someone's toes, I wanted to step on everyone's toes. Not just certain people's toes. So, again, some of you all know that last year I had a serious illness that almost cost me my life. And God and I had a lot of time of reflection during that time. And one thing I felt God telling me was, it's enough of the status quo. It's time to preach what I want you to preach, no matter how you feel comfortable about preaching it. So today's message, honestly, will not make everyone happy. Some in this room may not agree with what I say. Some online will probably not agree with what I say. And I say this with all the love I can muster. That's okay, but I don't really care. Because as long as God is pleased, then that's what I have to do. What I will ask is no matter what side of the issue that I'm going to speak on this morning you fall on, I would ask that you would ask God to open your eyes to what it is he wants you to hear, where he wants you to go with this message, what he is saying to you. Now, I'm pretty sure I have all your all's attention now. You're wondering what in the world is he going to talk about. But I want to start off by saying John finished up a study in Romans last week, and we did a quick study of Romans. My friend Justin Rohr, John's talked about him, but right down the street, he's preaching his last sermon on just Romans 8 that he's done this entire summer. I gave him a shout out this morning. I told him I was really impressed. And he said, Rick, I feel like I've missed a lot of stuff. 
But John did a beautiful job of going through that. So what we're going to do is now we're going to move on from that. And in the next five weeks, we're going to be in the book of Matthew. And today we're going to be in Matthew 13. A lot of the scriptures I'll be reading, or all of them will be on the screen. You can open up your pew Bibles or on your Bible app, however you would like to do that. But Matthew 13 consists of five different parables. The parable of the sower, the weeds, the mustard seed and the yeast, the hidden treasure and the pearl, and the net. If you think that's an interesting list, you should actually read these parables. Very, very interesting. I'm saying that kind of seriously, but I really appreciate John allowing me to preach on these this morning. Not easy scriptures to preach on. But you see, as I was reading through this, God had one stick out. And the one that stuck out was the final one, the net. And I'll read that in a minute, but I want us to closely look at our world today. You know, I'm 60 years old, and I have never seen our country as divided as it is now. I know everyone talks about, you know, well, in the past, this, that, and the other. I wasn't uh, alive for some of the, you know, the segregation, all that. I was too young to understand all of that. But in the world we live in today, I see such a huge division that people can't agree on anything because on the sides that they choose to be on. I don't see a world where we have a lot of middle ground in our country. It's either you're all in or you're all out. And whichever group you're in believes the other one is bad. Now see, what I see sadly is this division is starting to infect our churches. And I see that you're either on one side or the other. If you're on this side in this church, you're good. If you're on this side in this church, you ain't a church. That's what I see today. You have to be all in with whatever one group says or whatever the other group says. And I see it on both sides. I see it both with conservatives and liberals. Everyone is against everyone else. So today... I want us to use those eyes to look at this scripture. So let's start off in Matthew 13, 47 through 48. And it says this. Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down in the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. Then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets, but threw the bad away. Last year, we did a study on kind of how to understand the Bible. And the one thing we talked about was understanding context of when the Bible, when these passages were written. And what I want us to realize is at that time, Jesus was talking to a culture that understood all about fishing. That's what some of his disciples did. They were fishermen. The crowd would have understood what he was talking about. Now, I'm not a fisherman. I don't really know how to fish. I have done it before. I'm not very good at it. But his crowd would have understood that. But I think even though not understanding that job, we can pick out a couple things just from these scriptures. The first one is this. 
the net was let down into the lake without any knowledge of what type or if any fish would be caught. You see, the fishermen, their job was to catch fish, but they would throw the net out, let it sit, and then they would pull the net back in. If you remember, there's a story about fishermen fishing all night and catching nothing. And Jesus came and said, throw your nets on the other side. And it about sunk the boat. So these men, these fishermen, did not know what they were going to catch, but they went ahead and threw it out because they just needed to catch as many fish as they could. You see, it didn't matter to them what fish they caught. Their idea was the more, the better. Now, the second thing I want us to see from this is that the fishermen had knowledge to know which were the good fish and which were the bad fish. Because, you see, even when I do fish, if I catch something, I have no idea if it's edible or if you throw it back or what you do. I'm such a bad fisherman, I don't know how to bait a hook, and I don't know how to get a fish off a hook. But I certainly don't know what fish is good and what fish is bad. But you see, the fishermen knew. They took the fish out of the net, and they looked, and they said, these are good, we'll keep these, these are bad, we don't need those. Their job was to fish, and they were the experts. So let's continue reading, verse 49 and 50. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Wow. Jesus, I thought we were talking about fishing. How do we all of a sudden go to end times? I'm pretty sure Jesus caught their attention very, very quickly. How about you? Did that surprise you? What came next? You know, we're going from good fish to bad fish to a blazing furnace and gnashing of teeth. But you see, I love that's how Jesus did ministry. He talked to them about something they understood. And then he changed it into a kingdom message. And that's what this is. You see, this is where I want to settle in for a while today. I want us to look closely at these scriptures, but I want us to look through our context today. Because again, as I told you, I don't understand fishing. But I understand what Jesus is talking about here. Now, without using the word, the word that came to me as I read this scripture was the word condemnation. That's the word that I keep seeing, especially with that last verse. If you don't think of it as condemnation, think of the word condemn. And what I want us to see is that we live in a world today that really, really enjoys this word. They enjoy condemnation. We live in a world today that says, if you do this, or you do that, you are condemned to hell. No questions asked. And if you ask them why, as they say, it says clearly right here that this is the way it is. Now, before I continue, I want to tell you something. I truly believe there will be judgment at the end. I have no doubt 
that the word is true with judgment. We will all face judgment on our own at the end of our lives. Now, I want to tell you something, though. My judgment may look different than your judgment, but again, it doesn't matter what I or you think because we will face it. But what I want you to know is that we will face that from a very, very just judge. So let's go back to condemnation. You see, what I say is that that, to me, what some people say about you will be condemned is basically a turn or burn mentality. You turn from your sin that they say, or you will burn in hell. That's what it is. Now, I want to tell you that I have a lot of trouble with this strictly black or white interpretation. I look differently at condemnation, and that's because of God, and that's because of what I think he has told me. I want us to go back and look at the scripture real quick and, say, and look at, notice what it says before it talks about separating the wicked from the righteous. How does it say this will happen? The Son of Man will send out his, what? Angels. The Son of Man will send out his angels. Hold on. Wait a minute. Does that mean that we aren't the ones that decide? Who's condemned or not? But, but wait, I'm supposed, that's supposed to be my job. I'm supposed to go to someone and I'm supposed to save them from the bowels of hell. But you see, that's not what Jesus says. If someone tells me, it says very clearly in Scripture that this will cause this, I go to this Scripture. And I said, how do you know that you are judging the way the angels will judge why do you why do I think that Jesus says the angels will decide because my friends that's their job they're the experts just like the fishermen know which fish to keep the angels know which of us to keep you see it's different because they judge on a heavenly scale not on an earthly scale. You know, if you look throughout the Bible, there are times where the Bible talks about certain things that are wrong, certain people groups that are hated. And then as you get deeper into Scripture, you find out that those views on those people groups change. So what I will say is the Bible is true and accurate, but I will also say you need to look closely at your Bible if you start spouting off scripture about these things have to be the way that I say it is. Let's look at a different scripture. Most of us know John 3.16. As a child, we were all taught, a lot of us were taught to memorize that verse. But John 3.17 says this, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Now you can say what you want about social media and Facebook and Twitter and all that or X or whatever it's called. 
But what I do is as I'm going through, I see people post different things with different sayings and different things. And I'll just take a quick screenshot. And they're all in my photos. And when I have an opportunity to preach, I start looking back through those. And one of the ones that I saw is pretty much the onus for this sermon. And it said this, if God didn't send Jesus to condemn the world, I doubt he sent you. I didn't hear an amen. Can I get one? Tanya, I need one back there. Exactly. Let me read that again slowly for those of you that didn't catch it this time or just can't see it on the screen. If God didn't send Jesus to condemn the world, I doubt he sent you. So my question is, why do some Christians, why do some believers believe it's their job to condemn others? Why do some churches believe it's their job to decide who will go to heaven and who won't? But I want you to know that, again, I'm going to come to one of those, I'm going to be honest with you times, I used to fall in this group. I used to be part of the condemning group. I used to say, up, says right there, you do this, you go to hell, you're done. Sorry about your luck. You can turn, hope you do, pray you do, but if not, it's over with. Then Jesus kept bringing me back to one story in the Bible. He kept bringing it back, and it was in everything I heard for a while. I would flip through and someone would have a 40-second clip on Facebook about a sermon that someone in the 30s talked about this you see Jesus kept bringing me back to the thief on the cross and for those of you that don't know this story Jesus was crucified and there was two thieves on either side of him that were crucified also and during this crucifixion as Jesus our Savior was on the cross who didn't deserve to be there the other one of the criminals starts hurling insults at Jesus and the other thief says something along these lines He says, don't you understand that we deserve to be here? We are guilty, but he does not deserve to be here. Now, I want you to understand, once again, this thief admits his guilt. This thief admits that he deserves to be crucified because of his crime. And for you, those of you that don't understand, I'm not saying this jokingly because sometimes people don't. Crucifixion always leads to death. This person understood they were to die for their crime. So after the criminal, the thief says this, he looks at Jesus and he says these words, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And with Jesus' answer is what throws condemnation to me out the window. Jesus says these words, Surely today you will be with me in paradise. Now am I missing something? Did the thief jump down off the cross and he was baptized real quickly? Am I missing something? Did We talked about this. Did Jesus share the Roman road with him real quickly? Which wasn't even a thing then. Did Jesus explain the plan of salvation and say, Brother, confess your sins and you will be saved. I've read a lot of things where people try to justify what Jesus was doing by saying, well, actually he was repenting of his sins because, okay, you know what? 
He said, Jesus, remember me. Jesus said, you will be with me. Huh. A convicted thief sentenced to die for his crime, an admitted thief is in heaven. Wouldn't you have loved when he got to heaven? He would have walked in there and looked around, and you know everyone was asking him, Brother, what did you do? Where did you go to church? He said, I, I was literally on a cross. Oh, a cross, that's awesome. You know, we're all on the cross. No, you don't understand. I was hanging on a cross with that guy. And I'm here with you all now. You see, that's why I had to change my view on condemnation. And I love, we read a book last year that Pete N said, and you know, I'm quoting a lot of books, and I say this every time I preach, don't be impressed, I don't read books at all. I read other people's comments about books. And so I, you know, it, it make, you, make, you may think, wow, Rick's really good at these. I'm not. But Pete N's, we read a book, and I love what he said here. He said, the role of the church is to be doctor and nurse, not judge and jury. The role of the church is to be doctor and nurse, not judge and jury. But you see, I think the problem is a lot of churches have that flipped. They think the role of the church is to be judge and jury and not doctor and nurse. Because you see, I've been in churches before, and I was in a meeting, I'll never forget it, when a guy said again, he opened up a caveat, I want to be honest, I don't want to sit in church with someone that doesn't smell very good. Wow. I mean, you talk about being stunned. I'll give him credit. He was being honest. I've been in another church that says, if you don't look like us, if you don't dress like us, if you are not us, you can't be here. And I may have told you all this story, but I dress the way I dress because one time I was teaching Sunday school at my old church. I taught the same class for 30 years. And we had a younger couple come in the class, and we were all in our coats and ties, and we were wearing our best. And they looked very nice. They had on jeans, and they had on a nice shirt. And about midway through my lesson, the wife got up and literally ran out of the room. I honestly didn't know if I said something offensive. I didn't know what I did. Her husband very meekly stood up, and he looked around, and he said, we can't dress well enough to be here, but thank you. Friends, I want to tell you, that was an eye-opening experience. Now, thankful for me, I hate wearing a coat and tie, so that was the end of that. <laughs> but what I will tell you is, a couple months later, as I sat on the front row, I was a deacon at this church to take up the offering I had an older gentleman in the church who was friends of my parents come up to me and said, Rick, it looks like we need to take up a donation for you. I was clueless. I said, excuse me? He said, yeah, I see you're wearing your everyday clothes instead of your church clothes. Maybe we need to buy you some church clothes. Friend, have a seat. Let's talk. I told him the story. He said, I understand, but I don't think he did. 
But you see, we as a church are to be doctor and nurse. We are to welcome in those that are hurting. And if we don't welcome those that are hurting, then we're not doing our job. The one thing I love about this church is there's many times I will walk in and some of our friends will have slept on the front porch out here. And as I walk in, they're still there. No one's gone out and said, okay, brothers and sisters, it's time to move on. That's not what it is. They're there. One time one of the couples said, I'm so sorry, we'll get our stuff together. I'm like, why? If you're going to go anywhere, come inside. But if you want to, stay out there. I want us to go back to the very first part of the scripture today where it talked about casting a net, and I talked about not knowing what was going to happen, what they were going to catch. But you see, Jesus has changed my eyes, and my job now, I feel like, is to cast his net through me, to catch all that I can in love. Thomas Merton had this quote that says, our job is to love others without stopping to inquire whether or not they're worthy. Have you ever done that? Have you ever met someone and thought, eh, can't quite figure out if they're worthy? I have. I've done that a lot. I look at people's clothing. I look at their history. I look at their language. I say, I don't know if they're worthy of it or not. But you see, friends, that's what our job is. It's to love. And not choose who gets love. We are to love. You know, with all the hate in the world today, isn't it amazing sometimes how love will shine through? I don't watch the news anymore. I used to watch the news, and it's just it's too much for me. But every now and then, there'll be a positive story that will come through. You know, we've all seen them, and I saw one yesterday of a little guy that had opened up a lemonade stand and all his proceeds were going to go to Ukraine. I thought, that's love. You know, he may not have much money coming in, but he's going to give it all to the Ukraine. You know, I may only be speaking for myself, but I have no desire to have the angel's job. I do not want the job of condemning or, in, or allowing people to enter into heaven. That job is way too big for me. Because you know, what I have to understand about myself is I wouldn't make it on my own. I would walk up to heaven and I would say, here I am. And they'd say, there you go. <laughs> the thing I love about the Savior I serve when the question would be asked, Rick, what did you do to deserve to be here? My answer would be, I'm, I'm a simple man. I don't deserve anything. And then my Savior's on the side saying, oh, oh, hold on. He's mine. He's one of mine. Come on in. And looking at me, you may think, oh, that's okay, but I want us to think about the other people that may be in that we don't think are going to be in. That's what I can't wait to get to heaven. Because my answer is not going to be, oh, you're here. What? 
My answer is going to be, oh, you're here. I'm so excited for that. Now, friends, I'm, I don't know who gets in and who doesn't get in. But I do know this on their own. None are worthy. None are worthy. You see, Jesus gave that job to his angels for a reason. That's because we don't see through their eyes. What I want you to understand today is the people that are upset about this message think I'm preaching a prosperity message that everyone's going to be great. And in my mind, what I'm preaching is that everyone has a chance. No matter what you are doing, how you are living, you have a chance because of Jesus. So my thing with the angels and with condemnation and with judgment is let them worry about it. Let them worry about it. Now, John, last week, last week I preached in Frankfurt, so I didn't get to hear the message, but I come on Monday night, and it's wonderful. If you, if you ever want to come on Monday night, we would love to have you. We had the same message, a great dinner, prayer time, everything. But John's first words of his message last week were these. He said this, all are loved. Now, with me, I could have got up and walked out because that was the message that I needed to hear. All are loved. You see, what I want us to see this morning is there's no caveats. It's not all are loved if. All are loved when you do this. No, my friends. It's all are loved. But let me ask you a hard question. When someone walks into any church, even this church, can we say that? Can we say all are loved? But you know what? I can say it, but meaning it's a different story. So we have to live out that all are indeed loved. I have a job for you today, and this is your job. I want you to stop condemning people in the name of Jesus Christ. And I want you to start loving them in the name of Jesus Christ. And what I want you to see is the difference that makes in lives. Lives are changed because of your love through Jesus for them. You see, my friends, people can go anywhere and be hated and condemned. They don't need to come to a church to do that. But sadly, there are churches that people will walk in and they'll say, because of A, B, and C, you are not welcome here. There's the door. And if you don't believe me, I want to tell you I've seen it happen. And it breaks my heart. But more importantly, it breaks Jesus' heart. So friends, this morning, stop condemning others in the name of Jesus. And start loving others in the name of Jesus. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.